Hey, welcome to International Solidarity Movement Podcast. يلا اهلا وسهلا بكم في اذاعه حاكه التضامن الدوليه فلسطين. Welcome back to the International Solidarity Movement Podcast. Today is April 17th, which is the Palestinian Prisoners' Day. All around the world, people are highlighting the conditions of people incarcerated by the Israeli occupation. To mark this day, we bring you an interview with Melina Ansari, an incredible organizer from Adamir. Adamir in Arabic means conscience. Adamir is a prisoner support and human rights organization based in Palestine that supports Palestinian political prisoners held in Israeli and Palestinian prisons. Established in 1991, the center offers free legal aid and support to political prisoners, advocates for their rights at the national and international level and works to end torture and other violations of prisoner rights through monitoring, legal procedures and solidarity campaigns. So super unfortunately, we had to finish the interview prematurely and this was because it was due to the deportation of Milena's friend, Salah Mori, who is a long-time human rights defender and lawyer who'd been working with Adamir, which like really needed an urgent response. Like He'd been deported to France, like literally while we were recording the podcast interview, but we we're incredibly grateful for everything that she shared with us through the interview. We want to give a bit of a content warning that there are detailed descriptions of prison conditions, including child imprisonment at the end. And yeah, to support the work of Adamir and to learn about the prisoner struggle in Palestine, please check out the links in the show notes. Hi, hello. My name is Melina Ansari. I'm the International Advocacy Officer at Adamir Prisoner Support and Human Rights Association. A bit about Adamir and the work that we do. Adamir is a Palestinian non-governmental human rights organization that focuses its work on advocating um, internationally and locally on behalf of Palestinian political prisoners held both in Israeli occupation prisons and the Palestinian Authority as well. Part of the work that Adamir does is divided into legal work, advocacy work, and awareness. Um, so the legal work mainly revolves around um, providing free legal aid um, and services and consultation to Palestinian detainees and prisoners and their families as well in Israeli military courts and Israeli civil courts um, and the Palestinian Authority courts uh, as well. We do regular prison visits uh, where we meet the prisoners and detainees and take their testimonies regarding their detention conditions, their violations of rights. Um, their violations of rights during incarceration. Um, and then we um, analyze these uh, information and documents we get from the detainees and from the lawyers regarding legal procedures um, through mechanisms of international law, including international human rights law, international humanitarian law, and also international criminal law, in order to um, look into the systematic and widespread uh, violations of detainees' rights, such as the use of torture, ill-treatment, um, medical neglect, prison raids that are brutal in nature, um, and also the overall brutal detention conditions that the Palestinians face inside prison, um, and of course fair trial guarantees in the Israeli judicial system, where 
whether the military one or the civil one. So that's locally, local work. When we're talking about advocacy, um, it's mainly international advocacy, speaking to the international community. The way I see it or I divide the work for advocacy, it's three targeted groups. Um, the first group is regarding litigation. So the United Nations, the Human Rights Council, um, the special procedures, um, the International Criminal Court, different mechanisms regarding litigation on an international level, where we report to them regularly um, regarding highlighted cases of Palestinian prisoners and detainees, and whether there is any new violations or circumstances leading to something very threatening regarding the prisoners' movement as a whole. The second target group is parliamentary representative offices in Ramallah in Jerusalem um, but sadly this type of targeted group um, there's not much development or actual work taking action because sadly the, the diplomats or the parliamentarians are always restricted with their own state position on how much they can take action so they, they can note the brutality and injustice uh, about these cases but they don't take any concrete action to prevent the further violations of human rights because they're restricted by their country's politics. The third targeted group is international organizations, grassroots, solidarity movements, and liberation movements across the world. It's important for us to also target our advocacy work to these groups because at the end of the day, we understand um, the injustice that happens in Palestine, the brutality, the violence, what happens with political prisoners, whether spyware, surveillance, or the use of torture or medical neglect is not something very unique to the Palestinian situation. But it's these are policies that oppressive governments use across the world to implement their domination and oppression over um, a vulnerable community or minority group. So we try to put aside the geographic fragmentation and differences and focus on these arbitrary policies. Um, and, and this is the, the third targeted group. Um, but when we talk about the work of Adamir, we also work on spreading awareness uh, to the Palestinian community here locally on ground. So we do workshop programs that co that are called Know Your Rights, K-N-O-W. Um, sadly, if you can see me, you'll, be, you'll see that I'm doing air quotes because um, from the first moment, Palestinians are arrested up until the release there's brutality and violence embedded at each stage of the process, whether it is the arrest process, the detention process, the interrogation, the transfer to the prison, and the incarceration itself, there's violence and brutality. But it's really important for us to spread awareness to our community to strengthen um, their knowledge of their own rights when they are subjected to arrest and detention. Uh, we make sure that they know they have the right uh, to have a lawyer present with them, to be interrogated in a language they know. But sadly, none of these rights are provided to them. But it gives some kind of, uh, you know, strength to the prisoners because inside prison they are isolated. They don't have a community to support psychologically or mentally. Um, so on, it's on us to empower them from ahead of time um, to know what to expect and, and how to act in these conditions. What is like the situation of prisoners in Palestine and like, what kind of conditions are they living in and experiencing? 
First, before talking about prison conditions, I do have to acknowledge that me, myself, I have never been in prison. So part of me doesn't feel like I have the right to talk about prison conditions because we document um, from the prisoners themselves, testimonies directly. So these are their words, their own experiences. Prison conditions are extremely brutal and they're harsh in nature. There's overcrowding in, in prisons where Palestinians are incarcerated in, where in one prison cell, there could be more than 10 prisoners there. Um, not only overcrowding, but there is lack of any basic minimum living standards, like any adequate living um, for a basic human being. There are no protection of uh, their right to health, their right to education, even inside prison. But what I mean by this is that inside prison, the prisoners are in control or they are in charge and responsible of everything for themselves. They do the cooking, they do the cleaning, they buy um, their life necessities from the prison canteen, where there is also economic exploitation, where the prison canteen sells life necessities and food at very high costs and high prices. Mm, so there is also economic exploitation because the prison canteens, you, you, the prisoners are obligated to buy these necessities at very high prices. Why I say obligated? Because according to international humanitarian law, when there's occupation and there are prisoners from an occupied territory, and the occupying power, which is Israel in this context, has an obligation to provide adequate living necessities to the prisoners. They have an obligation to provide even adequate health care to prisoners. But what we see implementation on ground is actually using health care as a leverage against detainees and prisoners, where in order order to put more psychological pressure, more physical pressure on the detainees, even in prison, the Israeli prison services don't provide them proper medical health care. Even the prison clinics are reported by the prisoners as the slaughterhouse because they're no, by no means a place to take medical care or to take any kind of treatment or prevent yourself from any sickness or diseases or even chronic illnesses that the, the detainees or prisoners already have. So they are experiencing more brutality in the clinic, uh, um, the prison clinics. But going back to prison conditions as a whole, how is life inside prison? The prison structure, the prisons. So in general, um, there are 17 prisons and detention centers where Palestinians are incarcerated in by the Israeli occupation. And only one is located in the West Bank. So in the Palestinian territory, the rest are located in what is now called Israel. What that means, one thing is that the Palestinian prisoners are isolated from their own community. Um, but what it also means is that the loved ones, um, the Palestinian community cannot visit the prisoners inside Israeli prisons because they need to take a specific permit from the Israeli occupation. And we note and report that male Palestinians between the age of 20 and 40 almost never get a permit to visit their loved ones in prison. So there is isolation. I don't want to talk about law a lot, but uh, the transfer, um, the forcible transfer of the, the prisoners outside of their occupied territory to the territory of the occupying power is also illegal under international law and is a crime. And um, But we see it happen on a day-to-day -day basis and the majority of the Palestinian prisoners are forcibly transferred outside of their territory. The prison structures or the prisons where Palestinians are incarcerated in now, um, not only are they held inside 
alongside what is Israel, but they are also um, prisons that were established from the British Mandate era. So we're talking about from way before 1948 and no actual reconstruction or actual rehabilitation for these um, structures have happened. The structure of prisons um, doesn't really entail anything that they can hold prisoners in them. Like, for example, the Moon Prison, where um, Palestinian women prisoners are incarcerated and detained in. Um, originally, during the British Mandate, it was a place to store tobacco and even a horse uh, stable at some sort of time period in time. But when I say this, by no means do we mean that we need to better the detention conditions for Palestinian prisoners. No, we do need to focus at the root cause that why do we have 4,700 Palestinian political prisoners held in Israeli prisons? This is the focus or the question that we should tackle. Um, and prison conditions is just one of the issues we f we follow up on. Um, so other than the overcrowdedness, there's also lack of ventilation, lack of um, natural lighting or any kind of like window cell that brings any kind of sunlight or natural lighting to, to the prison cells. Like how do prisoners in Palestine, like are they able to organize with each other or resist the conditions? And obviously they must experience repression from these activities, but... Yeah, how are prisoners kind of like fighting back? The Palestinian prisoner movement, um, I can tell you this with all honesty, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the only forms where Palestinians are united sadly, because outside um, of prisons, um, Palestinians are fragmented are fragmented geogra uh, geographically, whether it is Palestinians in Gaza under a land, water and air siege um, for more than five years, seven years now, whether it is Palestinians in the West Bank that are under a military rule or Palestinians in Jerusalem and occupied 48 territories that are under direct Israeli um, apartheid and discrimination. And of course, the Palestinian refugees, millions of them, um, in exile, um, not being able to return back to their country. So uh, the Palestinian community is fragmented outside of prison. But when we talk about the prisoners' movement, it is all united altogether. There is no political party making decision um, amongst all the other prisoners. They are all united taking decisions. And we see, honestly, a, a very strong connection and strong um, activism inside prison even with all the brutality the prisoners face and one example of this is hunger strikes Collective hunger strikes have been one of the most important and only tool for Palestinian prisoners to protest either their uh, harsh incarceration conditions or their arbitrary um, detention in general so collectively they decide as a whole um, to refuse food um, for for a, an open period of time in order to um, change the power dynamics between the prison guard and the prisoners themselves. So the prisoners become control of their own bodies. They become um, sovereign over their bodies and don't allow the prison guards to decide how they want to live their life or whatnot. It's a, it's a form of pressure. It's a peaceful form of demonstration uh, where you 
using your own body to change the power dynamics um, between the oppressor and, and the victim. Um, but sadly, we see collective hunger strikes also being faced with more retaliation by the Israeli prison services. Um, so for example, when the prisoners initiate a hunger strike, those who are striking are immediately put into isolation as a form of punishment. In the Israeli prison services sense, that doesn't make any common sense. Um, they say that since they are refusing a meal, which is um, in in the, the laws and policies of the prison, they are basically refusing to abide by the prison rules. So they punish them by isolating them and putting them in, in isolation cells. Also part of not allowing them any um, contact or communication with the rest of the prisoners. Um, other forms of resistance by the prisoner movements other than uh, hunger strikes and refusing meals, um, it's also they refuse to stand in the count. It, the count is when the prison guards um, enter each prison cell and call out the prisoners by their numbers to make sure everyone is still in their place, in their cells. Um, so a form is refusing to stand and to, to obey or um, to, to listen to them calling the prisoners. How is the prisoner solidarity movement like on the outside? Like how is this relationship between the inside and the outside in Palestine? They're intertwined. Definitely, like whatever the situation on ground outside of prison is, does reflect um, on the situation inside prison and vice versa, of course. An example of this is there was a hunger strike that uh, was supposed to initiate in 2014. But if, if you remember in 2014, there was a huge war on Gaza um, and the Palestinian community um, wasn't able to either focus on the hunger strike in prison or the siege and the war on Gaza in 2014. Uh, so the prisoners um, halted their hunger strike and postponed it until after um, the, the violence against Gaza. Because, you know, the Palestinian community um, tends to feel a lot like in, in, in May 2021, when there were uh, families, Palestinian families in Sheikh Jarrah being forcibly displaced outside of their own homes in Jerusalem, um, everyone across Palestine from the river to the sea was revolting and was standing up with Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah. We even saw cities in the occupied 1948 territories that don't usually stand up or speak up or challenge the Israelis um, because they are at the forefront with the Israeli occupation. But for example, Al-Lid, uh, which is a Palestinian uh, occupied 48 city, was revolting and standing up. We saw even people in the diaspora, Palestinians all around the world, standing up with Sheikh Jarrah. Um, so I can clearly say that there is um, an intertwine or a reflection to what happens outside of prison with what happens inside of prison. Same thing if we talk about the vice versa, the Gulbuwa escape um, that happened last year in November, where six Palestinian um, prisoners from Gulbuwa Maximum Security Prison were able to successfully escape um, this prison. And, and sadly, they were recaptured after that. But uh, during that escape, all the Palestinian community across Palestine, historic Palestine, uh, was supporting them, saying that we, we're, we're here to support or take on any prisoner or any um, 
any escapee, even if they would face criminal responsibility and criminal charges, they made sure that whenever a prisoner needs a Palestinian, that the support and stand and solidarity is there. Um, and of course, the way Palestinians look at prisoners, they we look at them as a symbol of resistance and a, a symbol of strength. Because although we are living in an open air prison, they are living in a very closed prison, isolated from their loved ones, their family, their, their support system. So we have to be their support system from outside um, of prisons. And do people like receive like letters? Is that possible? Or I know you said visits are often very restricted, but how, yeah, how, how do like families stay in touch with their loved ones in prison? Sadly, this is what the Israeli prison services and the Israeli apartheid settler colonial regime aims for regarding prisoners. They aim to isolate them. So when we talk about um, do they get letters from their loved ones and whatnot, the answer is simply no. Um, it's possible to send letters, but the Israeli prison services will open each letter, read it through, and if they feel like any sentence or any word is misplaced or might motivate the Palestinians or support them in a way that the Israelis don't want the prisoners to have support, they don't um, give the letter to the prisoner. So it stops with the Israeli prison guard that looks into the letter. So it's possible um, to send, but it's not really possible that the prisoner will receive the letter at the end of the day. Um, and this is all part of restriction. Like, but by the way, even books, educational books, even the Quran, um, which is the Holy Bible, is sometimes um, refused to enter the the prison. Or even if we want to, like different religious books, uh, not only the Quran, um, they don't allow religious books. They don't allow history books inside prison any like chemistry or physics books not um, you know they use the allegation or the narrative of, of security reasons but we know all of this is part of de-educating the Palestinian community because inside prison there's no education system provided by the Israeli prison services um, it's completely banned yeah so in, in that regard like we had the um, kind of insight into reading one of your reports about prisoner education and it was like super inspiring all this organizing and pressure campaigns to like access education including like the development of a university could you share a little bit about that um so inside prison the israeli prison services completely um deny the palestinian prisoners and detainees the right to education the right to continue their education so any educational books or study groups are banned and the prisoners can be punished um, um for doing so either by isolation or banning them from prison uh, from family visits or phone calls to their families. Um, so what did the prisoner movement, and this is one of the success stories of the Palestinian prisoners movement, um, is that they established their own university educational system where they also work um, remotely with Al-Quds University um, in Abu Dis. But it, this educational system is, uh, is, is restricted in a few topics, like a few fields of education, like social sciences, um, I, I believe political science as well. <clears throat> 
um, social sciences and political science, um, um, social studies, psych- psychology, things that um, have do not have anything to do with math or physics or biology or whatnot, because these are um, banned by the Israeli prison services. So when I say that they have established their own system, it's really important to note that the Israeli prison services up until this point have allowed this to happen. But at any moment, they can hold every Palestinian who prisoner who goes into this establishment of the, the like the study courses and the cultural courses, they can punish them because at the end of the day, it's still illegal. But for some reason, they're shedding a blind eye um, at it. Um, and of course, this educational system was established by the Palestinian political prisoner and legislative council member Marwan Barghouti. Um, he had a lot of important role into this um, and he led the prisoner movement with this educational system. So in the UK, we have one of the most like privatized prison systems in the world. Um, we have a lot of private companies making massive profits from imprisoning people. And um, I'm aware that one of those companies, G4S, has also worked in Palestine. Yeah, could you share a little bit about that? The G4S campaign um, actually is also another success story for the BDS movement because um, in the past, I believe in 2014, 2016, the G4S campaign, which is a a security surveillance um, company that runs in different prisons across the world. And the Israeli prison services used to um, use G4S in their own um, prison systems. There was a huge campaign against G4S asking them and calling them to end their ties with the Israeli occupation because of their violations of human rights. Um, And this is where we see the line between private companies and human rights um, come together. Because we cannot say that businesses or companies should not be abided by human rights law and international principles. On the contrary, they play a huge and important role in really facilitating and playing an integral role in the oppression and domination of the people. Um, So thankfully, up until now, the G4S have withdrawn their surveillance and their um, technology systems from Israeli prisons. But I do acknowledge, and I can say this clearly, that training sessions between G4S Uh, the company and Israeli prison services or Israeli security intelligence is still ongoing. So while they pulled their services from prisons, they're still complicit somehow by training and giving workshops um, to the Israeli occupation. This is why the power of BDS is important um, because it's not only about the the clear violations that we see, but it's also what happens under the table. It's these training sessions that also embed in the Israeli occupation the ways of domination and oppression, and it all needs to end. Uh, Maybe I'll connect it to something very recent I read about, um, which is Ben and Jerry's, the ice cream company. Um, very recently, I think last week, um, officially they won the lawsuit where they um, 
took control over stopping their um, products, Ben and Jerry's, an ice cream company, their products in Israeli settlement in, in Israeli settlements. The mother company of Ben and Jerry's um, refused this act and wanted to hold them responsible for stopping their products in an Israeli settlement. But after following up with legal procedures and really not bowing down to the bullying of the Israeli occupation and also Israeli lobbying around the world, they won the case and they were able to officially decide and announce that they will not have any of their products in Israeli settlements. Um, so, so this is what we do need to focus on, is that no matter how big or how small, whether it is security and technology in prisons or ice cream, it really plays a, a role in maintaining the oppression on the Palestinian people, in sustaining the Israeli apartheid regime. So in order to really tackle the root cause of what's happening here in Palestine, each country or each company needs to um, really self-criticize their work and self-note how are they complicit and, and, and playing an integral role um, into the occupation of the Palestinian people. Um, and, and trust me, when this happens, when companies start opening their eyes and holding Israel accountable for human rights violations, Israel will understand the pressure from the international community. And I know this is possible because when Russia invaded parts of Ukraine and um, established a war and started stealing lands in Ukraine, European countries did not stop to think for a second to boycott, sanction and divest from Russia and Russian companies. So we know it's possible with political will and with political intention. And we just want the same treatment of how the international community is treating different um, racial groups or different nationalities to treat Palestinians minimum the same. It's not because we're jealous or we want to be treated as Europeans or whatnot. It's basic human rights. It's a legal and it's a moral obligation on the countries around the world to hold Israel accountable for their human rights violations instead of um, shedding a blind eye and constantly giving impunity to their violations. Because this silence only tells Israel, we're giving you the green light to continue on doing whatever you're doing and even expanding on doing that. Um, so uh, there's a big role on the international community and ending their silence and it starts with basically ending their silence. And what do you think is the role of the international community in terms of like prisoner solidarity and prisoner support in Palestine? For the prisoners movement, solidarity is not only a during hunger strikes. This is what I really want to focus on because in the type of work I do, um, I always interact with the international community. I always talk or report on cases of a hunger striking detainee or a detainee under medical neglect or a woman in prison or a child. We talk about the policies, the systematic policies. And sadly, no one hears us when we're talking about policies. But when we say there's a detainee under imminent threat of death, that there is a child who was subjected to torture or there was a woman who was subjected to rape. Like when we are extremely clear about the cases, do we see people wanting to interact and wanting to work and wanting to save this specific case? 
But sadly, that's not how you deal with the prisoner's issue, because it's not only one prisoner, it's not two prisoners, it's 4,700 prisoners, all facing the same policies of discrimination and oppression. So when you want to stand with Palestinian prisoners, you have to stand against the policies, stand against prosecuting Palestinian civilians in Israeli military courts that lack any guarantee of fair trial standards because violations of their rights starts from then. Starts when a military judge, who's most of the time an Israeli military officer and most of the time an Israeli settler, is ruling using inter-Israeli military orders against a Palestinian. So basically there's no real justice or accountability in the Israeli judicial system. It's just a system that plays an integral role in facilitating all these policies and all this oppression. So if the international community wants to stand with Palestinian prisoners, they have to stand against the Israeli apartheid regime. They have to stand against settler colonialism because as long as the the idea or the ideology of settler colonialism is is deeply rooted in the state of Israel, political prisoners will will emerge over and over again. Like violations of the rights will continue on happening. So in order to really support prisoners, we need to support the Palestinian people in general. Stand against prosecuting Palestinian prisoners in military courts, stand against the military regime that's implemented ag- against Palestinians in the West Bank, and stand against like the, the, the racist policies of the Israeli apartheid regime. Excuse me. Um, So how do you think the kind of like situation has changed over time here? I know like doing prisoner solidarity work a long time, it often feels extremely depressing that things just seem to get worse and worse. Um, And obviously you've talked about some like successes in your struggles and your organizing um, but yeah, how do you think it's kind of changed and how do you think it might continue to change? So I don't want to be pessimistic at all. Um, I want to be realistic as possible. Um, I have been working with Adomir for three years now. And I can say from this short period of time, three years, um, the situation has been 10 times worse. It has been increasingly escalating with violence, with the numbers of prisoners, with the policies that the Israeli prison services use. Um, sadly, it's it's very disappointing. It's it's very sad. It's very unfortunate. Um, and if, if I want to say who is to, resp- to be responsible, I'm, I'm not the type of person who likes to blame others, but I do want to shed light at the role of the international community. Because when the, the prisoners movement first emerged, there wasn't much solidarity and much support with the prisoner movement. Like the international community would still argue um, that Palestinians are in prison because of the safety of the state of Israel. Like we would still hear these arguments justifying the brutality um, inside prisons by saying to save the security of Israel. Um, So I believe, sadly, the impunity of the international community has 
allowed Israel to continue on doing what they're doing with even expanding more and more, um, as I mentioned before. But but really, um, being completely realistic, like when I first started with Al-Damir, I was talking about 300 Palestinian administrative detainees. So those who are detained without a charge, without a trial, based on secret information and an indefinite time. There are 300 of them um, during the first time I started three years ago. But now, if you ask me what is the number of administrative detainees, it's 835. Um, And that's within three years. This number, I think, doubled even uh, within two years. The situation is definitely getting worse. Even with the Galboa escape last year, we are seeing the Israeli prison services um, implement more policies of retaliation against the prisoners. So um, they, they even started with a recent policy where one prisoner um, can or the prisoners cannot stay in their own cell every three months um, more than three months and they cannot stay in the same prison more than six months so they're even trying to um, really mess up the whole life inside prison where it's always uncertainty there's always unknowing and the future of the prisoners inside prison um, is always left at the hands of the israeli prison services sadly Um, so i don't want to be sounding very pessimistic but it's the situation on ground it's it's deteriorating day by day Recently, we went to a demonstration with um, some mothers whose children were in prison. And yeah, I just wondered, you know, we have a we have like children prisoners in the UK from the age of 12, we can be in prison. But I know here it's like on a completely different scale, you know, of how many um, children are in prison. And I just wondered what the situation is with children, with child prisoners. When we want to talk about Palestinian children, prisoners and detainees, um, actually, it's the most brutal and the saddest uh, um, um, topic or issue regarding the Palestinian prisoners movement. Because, yes, even here, um, children as young as 12 could be prosecuted and put in prison. Um, there is a juvenile a juvenile system or um, a juvenile judicial system um, in implemented by the Israeli occupation, but there's no actual application of it. Like in reality, on ground, um, the same court that looks into, um, that looks uh, into prosecuting a Palestinian um, elderly or regardless of what age is the same that looks um, into prosecuting Palestinian children. So this juvenile system only um, exists in words and in writing, but not in real implementation. Um, There are around 160 Palestinian children in prison. Four of them are placed under administrative detention. So four children are placed without charge, without trial, under secret information. (laughs) 